Well, we're uh, continuing our series, uh, Kingdom, and we've been talking about God's kingdom, and I know most of the time we think about heaven when we talk about God's kingdom, and that is true, but God's kingdom, Christ followers, it's here. It's now. You know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And when Christ becomes your king, you become a part of God's kingdom. And I believe everything in your life changes at that point. Everything becomes new. You know, new way of thinking. You have new values. You have a new economy, new focus. It's a new citizenship, we're told in the scripture. And it's a new way of living and a new way of seeing things. You know, when I was a uh, kid, I was at my aunt and uncle's up in Shipman, and uh, we, all of us kids were, were playing, and we were out in the cornfield and running around, and the, the corn was really tall, and my eyes started uh, feeling like they had dust in them. And then they began itching. And before long, I, I was kind of struggling to, to see. I was squinting, and, and I, I was running, and I'm tripping a lot. And then everything got really blurry until finally I really couldn't see anything. And so I kind of got my composure, and I, and I just stood there. And so I'm trying to get my bearings, and then I cried out to my, my brother and my cousins, and at first they thought I was kidding. I don't know why they would think that, but um, anyway, they realized I wasn't, and so they came to my aid, and they led me out of the field, and I'd, I'd had an allergic reaction to the corn pollen, and so my eyes basically had swollen shut. And so I got to the house and uh, turned on the hose, and I'm, I'm rinsing my eyes, and I kept rinsing them, and I'm rinsing my face and my head and my arms, and, and uh, my mom and dad, they finally got some ice, and uh, in a couple hours, the swelling finally went down, and I was able to see again. Today, I want you to consider what's in your eye. You know, what keeps you from, from seeing? What's clouding your vision in life? The fact is, often we see very clearly, we're very quick to point out someone else's problems, somebody else's issues, somebody else's failures. But if we're honest, we struggle, don't we, with seeing our own failures? the things in our lives that aren't quite right. You know, one day Jesus was uh, preaching. It was his first recorded uh, message uh, in Scripture, Sermon on the Mount. And he says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. See, when Jesus says do not judge, I mean, what's he mean? What's Jesus mean by that? Well, I, I think first I want to tell you what he doesn't mean. Jesus is not talking about discernment here. You know, every moment of every single day, we exercise discernment in our lives. You know, Jesus is not talking about uh, like judicial discernment. The fact is juries have to come to verdicts. There's nothing wrong with that uh, scripturally. That kind of justice or judgment is, is fine. It's not talking about uh, what I would consider relational discernment. 
when my girls were uh, teenagers, and if a guy had shown up to date one of them, and he was like high and disrespectful and maybe had antichrist across his forehead tattooed, I would have been kind, I would have been loving, but trust me, I would have exercised discernment at that point. Every day, all kinds of situations in our lives, we make choices, don't we? It requires us to have discernment. We, we make selections. We make estimations. We, we uh, assess things. We make judgment calls, so to speak. In other words, uh, an employer. They have to judge, don't they? They have to judge about someone that's applying for a job, what their skill set is, whether where their character is, and so they do that and decide who they're going to hire. Uh, a, a lender, for instance, has to evaluate the honesty of a customer, their ability to pay back the loan, and so to speak. As parents, it's, in fact, it's our job to make sure that we kind of size up our, our kids' friends, their, their media, their activities, all, all the things that influence their life. We're called to do that. As a pastor, I have to discern. I have to discern how do I protect the church? You know, what issues is it that God's putting put on our, our hearts? Where does God want to lead us? You know, how do we grow the church? Those kind of things. We must make assessments all the time, every day. When Jesus says, judge not, he is not saying that we're to refrain from any kind of critical analysis of things. In fact, when Jesus uses the word judge, he, he's very clear he's talking about judgment in the sense of, of condemnation. You know, Jesus is saying, don't be about condemning the soul of another person. Do not write somebody off in your life. Do not be hostile. Do not label people. In fact, I, I like the way the message translates the verse that we just looked at. It says, don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their, their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. It, it is hard for us to be for someone if we're judging them. Christ followers. We need to be pulling for the people around us. We need to quit rejoicing when somebody's defeated or somebody has a failure in their life. Why? Because it violates a kingdom value of love. It, it creates distrust. There's no mercy in that. You know, Jesus, you remember, he was a carpenter. Before he went into ministry, his dad was a carpenter. He says, why do you look at a speck of sawdust in your brother or sister's eye and pay no attention to the, what, plank in your own? How can you say to your sister or brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a, what, <laughs> plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother or sister's eyes. Kind of a humorous story there. I mean, what exactly is the plank? 
It's the condemnation. See, Jesus understood that when we are condemning someone, that it's destructive, it's corrosive. It goes against God's value. Condemnation shows that that really our heart is out of sync with God's kingdom. The fact is, condemnation, it, it usually is accompanied with a thing called anger, contempt, hold on to your seats, self righteousness. And those things, they, they blind us. They, they keep us from seeing a person for who they really are. Now, I'm talking to Christ followers here for a moment. You will never be able to help another person. You will never be able to make a difference in their life until you, you have grown into a person that does not condemn people, period. Yank the plank. Did, did everybody get a, get a piece of wood? Everybody get one of these? If you didn't, you might raise your hand. The ushers will, will bring you one. I want everybody to have one of these. And what I want you to do is I'm talking. I just want you to hold on to it. And I'm going to ask you through this message to begin to think about when it comes to judging, when it comes to condemning, what's the plank in your eye? These are eye size. And I'm going to ask you to be honest and specific. See, condemnation gets expressed a lot of different ways. I've thought about three mainly. This isn't exhaustive, but I think it hits the broad spectrum. Sometimes condemnation, as Christ followers, the condemnation is for those that are far from God, people that are outside the family. In fact, I believe it's very easy to develop an attitude that becomes a plank in our eye. You know, the Apostle Paul, he uh, talks a lot about what happens to, to people who live apart from God. You know, what happens when people live without God's grace working in their lives and their souls? You know, what happens usually is they begin to spiral downward, right? Farther and farther and farther away from God. In fact, Paul says this, he says, their lives become full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malice behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. Imagine that. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy and I kind of go, whoa, 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 that, that is a lot to take in, isn't it? But Paul goes on, he goes, they, they know God's justice requires those who do these things deserve to die. Whoa. Yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them. See, I think when you look at like that list, I think what happens, Christ, Christians tend to get puffed up at that point. Tend to cop an attitude, so to speak. Oh, thank goodness I'm not like them. 
I'm not as bad as them. They, people like that are just awful. And so Paul, he tackles that attitude. The very next verse, it's the first uh, of chapter two. He says, you may think, you may think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad. And you have no excuse when you say they are wicked and should be punished. I love this. You're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. <laughs> Paul says, you may think you can condemn other people. But Paul would tell you, think again. I mean, it's obvious that Paul, Paul's writing to Christ followers here. He's writing to Christians who are ready to condemn people for what? For the sins that he just got done listing, all those things. And, and it appears, when you, when you read this, that Paul it, it can, it is talking to people that consider themselves to be above doing such things. In other words, they have a very inflated view uh, of themselves. And, and Paul uses a, a very specific uh, Greek word here, katakrino, judgment that condemns the soul of other people. That's what Jesus said. See, Paul's making a point, and Jesus was making a point, that that kind of judgment, Paul says, it's gonna come back on you. Hello. You see the speck? You see it in other people, but you got a plank in your own eye. You know, it's like the, the person. And they're like, I just can't stomach Jane. She criticizes people all the time. I mean, what's wrong with her? Look in the mirror. Yeah. Someone's out at dinner. <laughs> Look at Jay over there. Jay's having another beer with his dinner. He should know. Our bodies are God's holy temple. I can't believe him. Um, I'll take a triple cheeseburger, large order of chili cheese fries. Give me a monster malt. Oh, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. I, I want one of those death by chocolate fudge things. Do you, do you see the problem here? You got to yank the plank. I mean, when it, when it comes to people outside of God's family, those people that haven't given their lives to Jesus Christ, I think sometimes th this plank is different for all of us. I mean, for some of you, that plank, it may be somebody that has a different political view than you. Somebody that's got a different value. And I wanna be clear, this, this plank, it isn't the person, it's, it's the trait that they carry. It's a belief that they have or a value that, that kind of comes in conflict with your value or that trait that you think it should be. In other words, they're different than you. Some of you, you, you watch TV 
you watch some talk show, and you get all worked up. And it becomes very easy to develop contempt, almost hatred for someone toward people that are on the other side of the issue. Friends, this type of mentality and attitude, you can apply almost any area of life, can't you? I mean, for some of you, that, that plank, it's a little closer to home. You know, it's, it's somebody that has a lifestyle that you disapprove of. And it becomes very, very easy to develop an attitude that condemns. And Jesus says, you have to get rid of the plank that's in your eye. You've got to yank the plank and get rid of it. You know, there's a, a kind of a subtle difference between uh, the two groups of people that Paul was addressing Romans 1, when he's listing all those sins, he's, he's writing about people who very intentionally or blatantly are doing wrong and encouraging other people to do wrong and going, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. But in Romans 2, Paul's addressing those who are condemning those that are the wrongdoers. And Paul's point is it's hypocritical. Why? Because we're all messed up. We all do wrong things. We are all equally guilty of sin. We're all in the same boat. And so my question is, what, what's your attitude? What's your attitude about people that are far from God? You judge them? Or do you love them? How about this? Do you feel better than them? Or are you humbled and realize by God's grace you've been saved? See, we've got to yank the plank. We've got to yank the plank. Another plank I, I think that we uh, often... Uh, develop this attitude and it's a plank that keeps us from loving people that are in in the family you know it's an attitude that we we have that it, it kind of creates contention you might say we get very self-righteous as christians it's an issue that that creates a lot of disagreement in the christian community and guess what? Usually the plank, it really has to do with personal beliefs, usually. Personal preferences. But friends, I want to make no mistake, it's a plank. I heard a story about a young rabbi, and he had a problem in his congregation. And the problem was when he would pray during service, half the congregation would stand up while he was praying. The other half remained seated, and when he finished praying, then they would break out and begin arguing and yelling at one another and insisting that their side was, was the true tradition of the church. And so 
finally, he, he just he did everything he could. He tried to, tried to work through it with him, and he couldn't. So he went to see the 100-year-old rabbi that had started, had been the founder of the, the congregation. And he, and he said, was, was the tradition originally, was it to stand during prayer? And the old rabbi said, no. He goes, ah, so the tradition was to remain seated during prayer. And the old rabbi's like, no. And he's like, I've got to know the answer here. This is a problem. You know, I, every time it creates chaos in the service. Half the people stand, half remain seated. And then they, they start yelling and screaming at each other. Ah, the old rabbi said, that was the tradition. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) For more than 2,000 years, that has been the tradition of the Christian faith. Jesus knew that we would struggle with unity I mean, it was the last, one of the last things he prayed for. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was praying. It was the night he was going to be betrayed. He'd be arrested. And he prays this. He says, I pray that they may all be one. Father, may there be in us just as you and uh, you are in me, and I am in you. May there be one. May they be one so that the world will believe that you sent me. Unity has been an issue since the beginning of the church. Why is that? Well, because Christ followers decide to come up with their own rules along the way, their own rules about what it means to be spiritual or uh, about uh, what commitment really looks like. And what I find very interesting is it, it is rarely about the fruits of the Spirit. You know, things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. Too many times, what ends up happening, it becomes this list of do's and don'ts. And they're very arbitrary sometimes. Many times, they're not even things you can find in the Bible. But they become a code for judging other people. They become things that obviously God forgot to put in there. Jesus dealt with that kind of stuff in his day. I mean, for example, the, the Old Testament, it, it says that uh, the Sabbath is to be holy. And so the Pharisees all got together and they go, well, we need to take that a step further. We need to begin to define what, what Sabbath rest really means. And so they come up with all kinds of things, like you can't walk more than seven-tenths of a mile on the Sabbath. Six-tenths, you're good. Eight-tenths, you're in trouble, you know. I don't know why. They, they even had a, I found it funny, if a hen laid an egg on the Sabbath, you weren't allowed to eat it. Why? Because the, the hen had worked on the Sabbath. And throughout history, Christ followers have, have built all the, these codes and rules and things to, to judge one another and hurt one another. And ultimately, you go, why? What, what's going on here? 
In fact, here, just take this for a moment. Here's some things in the last century that Christians have taken strong stands on, labeled as bad, labeled it as sin. You know, for instance, dancing, playing cards, using electricity. We're in trouble this morning. (laughs) Wearing makeup usually said by people who need to wear makeup. Most of us, most of us would look at some of those things, at least, and go, I don't don't really see that as a problem. But here's the deal. I would guess that there are some things that you feel very strongly about. And my guess is some of those things are not core to the Christian faith. They're not salvation issues. In fact, some of them aren't even biblically based. When God gave us the commands, he left a lot of things out and really left it to some flexibility, some freedom in it. In other words, we're to be led by the Holy Spirit in things. And what happens is some of the things, like I just ran off or maybe it's going through your head right now, you kind of hear it and you think, oh, that's kind of funny, that's weird, that's strange. Until I get to the thing that's on your list. I mean, true Christ followers only sing hymns. True Christ followers only sing choruses. I mean, true Christ followers only read the King James Bible. True Christ followers would never get a tattoo. I mean, true Christ followers would never have a glass of wine with a meal usually spoken by people that eat a half a gallon of ice cream with their meal, you know, kind of thing. True Christ followers wouldn't buy a lotto ticket, wouldn't go through a divorce, never watch an R-rated movie. I found that very funny when uh, the, the uh, Passion for Christ came out. <laughs> they, they all of a sudden have the complication, oh, I can't go see it, it's an R-rated movie, but it's about, you know, True Christ followers would never vote Democrat. True Christ followers would never vote Republican. True Christ followers would never wear jeans to church. I'm out. Here's the deal. Everything I just said, just listed, is on somebody's list. Condemnation list and you won't find any of them on God's list. We, we, we argue, we, we fight over things like this. Instead of giving freedom and allowing God's Holy Spirit to, to guide us to a more holy life. You know, Paul, he's writing to the church of Galatia, and they're being judgmental. They're, they're trying to impose some arbitrary lists of do's and don'ts on one another. 
And he says this, he says, if you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you will be annihilating each other. And where will your precious freedom be then? What's the plank in your eye? What's keeping you from connecting with somebody that's different than you? I mean, what are you so self-righteous about that you discount anyone who believes differently? Friends, that's the plank. I mean, what's your plank? Is it the way someone dresses? Is it the way they raise their children? The way they eat? The way they worship? I mean, this stuff just, you can go on and on and on. You know, I know, I know some of you, you uh, look around during worship and you see someone who's not very expressive during worship and you feel like you're a little more spiritual than them and you develop an attitude. Friends, I'll tell you, it's a plank in your eye. I'd also tell you, you ought to take some time and get to know whoever that is because what you might find is someone that has a deep faith. You might find somebody that's given their life and their resources to give us a place to worship. And what you might find is attitude needs to go, and you might find a thing called gratitude. And you see, my, my point is, whatever the plank is, you gotta yank it you got to yank it. You know, if you get to know someone, you might find they, they have a heart for God. You might find someone that's open to God, have a desire to, to serve. They love God. They want to worship God. But there's planks all over the place. You know, one more plank I want to look at here. And it's a, a plank that condemns those who are unresponsive to our efforts to straighten them out. I, I think one of the most uh, misunderstood um, maybe scriptures that's out there, it's on, honestly, I think it's uh, many times misapplied. And uh, the fact is it's uh, mistaught. And Jesus said this, he says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Hmm. I mean, this verse is usually applied direct opposite of the spirit of Jesus' teachings. I've heard it taught many times and I, I just shake my head. I mean, many times it's taught that as Christ followers, we have been entrusted. We've been entrusted with the, the treasure of the gospel. You know, we're, we've been entrusted with hope and with grace and mercy. And that we're not to waste those pearls on bad people, evil people. Why? Because pigs will trample on it. Friends, the fact that you and I are here today 
the fact that you call yourself Christian, I believe is proof that you should give pearls to pigs. Changed my life. See, Jesus isn't saying that you should view people as dogs or pigs in life. In fact, Jesus is teaching just the opposite. Jesus' point is when, when you're living in the mire, you can't digest pearls. You know, sometimes our, our effort to straighten people out, what, what happens? We come on really, really strong. You know, we come on too strong, and, and so they're not, they're not able to, to process it. They're not ready for it, maybe. They can't digest it, and if you don't take a hint and you keep coming on, what happens? They turn on you. You know, it's, it's what happens when a, a parent tries to spiritually force-feed their children. What do they do? They push back. You know, the fact is, you go, you're going to do this, and you're going to think this, and you're going to love God, and you're going to think exactly like I do. What happens? You're, you become a pearl pusher, and your kids push back. It happens all the time. I mean, let's say we do things right. You know, you take your time with someone that you're trying to reach trying to share God's wisdom. And so you start pouring out the pearls that you got. What happens over time? You're encouraging them. You're helping them. Trying to point them in a direction. And then after a couple years, sometimes it's a couple months or a couple weeks, but you kind of assess things and go, are we making any headway? Do I seem to be... Being, you know, are they hearing anything I'm saying? And if there appears to be no movement, what happens? Well, we get disgusted. We get aggravated with them. We get fed up with them. Friends, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. You know, do you love them? Do you care about them? Will you continue to love them even when they're unresponsive? You know, or, or is this more about you? Is this more about you simply like straightening people out? I will tell you it's a plank and you need to yank the plank out of your eye. Now, I, I want you to listen very, very carefully because I don't want people going out of here and misquoting me. Not condemning someone, not judging does not mean that you never address or talk to people about concerns for their life or for their spiritual life. My point is there is a big difference between condemning someone and being concerned about them. And we are called to be concerned as Christ followers. Galatians 6.1, it says, Brothers and sisters, if a person is caught doing something wrong, you who are spiritual should restore someone like that with a spirit of what? Of what? Gentleness. A spirit of gentleness. Not an attitude of condemnation. 
we have to get this right. We have to as Christ followers. Speak the truth in love. Stand your ground. Stand for your convictions. But watch your attitude. Watch your attitude. See, we're we're not called to condemn. Don't let that be a plank in your eye. Everybody got your plank? I want you to look at that for a minute. And I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit and answer this question. What is the plank that's in your eye? Who are you labeling? Who are you writing off? Who are you pridefully Lord, in your spirituality over? Who are you not pulling for? Who are you secretly condemning? What's the plank in your eye? I mean, can you identify it? Can you name it? Can can you call it what it is? See, I'm going to ask you to do something courageous, and a little bit risky. And to take a pen, marker, crayon, I don't don't care, whatever you got, and write what your plank is. Name it. You know, for some of you, it may be, you know what, I condemn people that are far from God. I I don't even care to get to know them. I've developed a terrible attitude toward them. So maybe you'd write, people far from God. You know, someone else, maybe it's somebody that votes different than you. Maybe your plank is somebody that's of another culture, another race, another faith. Someone that's got a different lifestyle or has different values than you. What is the plank that's in your eye? You know, for some, my guess is you're thinking about somebody, you know. Well, just put their initials down. You know, somebody that you're judging, somebody that you've been condemning. You know, maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's somebody in the family of God. You know, maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a group of people. You know, sometimes we just look at a certain age group and we go, ah, What's wrong with them? But it's a plank. And truth be known, it is tainting you and affecting your relationships with people. And I will tell you, Jesus would say to you today, do not judge them or you'll be judged. And this is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to open yourself up, I believe, to the activity of God and an opportunity to name sin and see it for what it is, it's a plank that needs to be yanked in your life. So just jot something down. You can cover it up. You can can go code if you want, you know. 
Write, write it where you know what it means. Draw a picture. I don't care. But we're going to stand up. We'll stand up for worship. Worship team's going to come out. They're going to lead us in, in worship song. And I'd invite you, while we're singing, while we're worshiping, to be not only hearers of God's word, but doers. And if you so feel led, while we're singing, just bring it up, lay it downward so nobody can see it. They don't need to see what you're laying. Just lay it down and say, I'm done with this. I'm done. I'm going to yank the plank in my life. And then just pray a very simple prayer. You know, here it is, God. And then return to your seat, and then I'll dismiss us as a whole. You know, to just say, God, I'm giving this to you today. This is the plank in my eye. I know it. I am done with this. I'm done with this attitude. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I want to see again. I want to see people. I want to see this person, these people, the way you see them. And let God change you today. So we're clear. We're going to sing, worship. If you feel led, bring it, bring it down. And then 